Hi, welcome to the Layman's Journey. My name is Raphael, and my co-host James here. James. Um, we'll be talking about the uh, fifth Sunday of Easter, May tenth. Uh, like always, we'll include a link to the readings uh, in the description. So feel free to check that out before or during or after the podcast, whatever works for you. Um, I think James is going to start us off with the antiphon. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord, for he has worked wonders. In the sight of the nations, he has shown his deliverance. Alleluia. So where's my song, Raphael? I'm supposed to sing um, me a song. Or sing the Lord the song. I you know, it. it's... it's... We'll, we'll just we'll just insert a song here. So we'll just pause for like five minutes and then just <laughs> put one in here. I promise you, I sang it. <laughs> the voice might sound different, but I promise you, I sang it. <laughs> um, yeah, but let, you wanna, let's go into the. Actually, speaking of songs, you want to go into the psalm first this time? Sure, we can do the psalm first. Do everything out of order and disconcerting and stuff. <laughs> It, it, I mean, it does seem like the psalm kind of links with the antiphon, so I, I yeah. thought it might connect. I'll read the first, the, just the responsorial. Lord, let your mercy be on us as we place our trust in you. So, yeah, I think kind of going off the first, uh, looking at least the first verse, it's very just, you know, give thanks to the Lord on the harp with a ten-string lyre chant his praises. I know we were kind of joking about music initially, but I think that this kind of talks about how we can, it, it, I think it kind of suggests that there are other ways to bring praise to God, you know, it, beyond right. prayer. The music is one too, which is why I think uh, right. the yeah. music, yeah. Oh, go there, ahead. There is one thing in this first verse that struck me, the 10 string lyre chant his praises. I thought when I was reading it, that's very specific. Mm-hmm. Why is it saying the 10 string lyre? And so I looked it up because I was curious. I was like, why is it being so specific, right, on mm-hmm. which lyre you use? And it turns out the 10-string lyre is a traditional Hebrew lyre, um, and the 10 strings represent the Ten Commandments given oh. to Moses. And if you're chanting with the 10-string lyre, it has connotations of, like, walking. And so it's mm-hmm. like you're walking the path of the commandments. And it's kind of like saying that we do that and to chant his praises by following the Ten Commandments. Is that kind of exactly. what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. I would have never got that out of there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just a little thing that caught my eye because, you know, I like instruments, mm-hmm. instruments. And when it specifies a very particular instrument, I think, why? <laughs> But I, I think it's it's interesting that it's like you can see that kind of reference in in the uh, psalm because I read it. I'm like, oh yeah, it's just a ten stringed instrument. That's that's you know. But I think it's kind of cool that there's more meaning to it. And like like you right. said, it was chosen intentionally, and it's very specific. Yeah, yeah, it is. A lot of people. I I was looking around online, and a lot of people that make like reproductions and stuff actually call it the David liar. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, it was allegedly what King David would play on, and so yes, I just I found that very interesting. Um, and it's you know, as we place our trust in you, right, following the commandments and walking the walk mm-hmm. is placing our trust in God. I, I think it's also interesting. Like we were talking earlier about how music is a way of praising God, but I think like following the um, commandments as another way of um, praising the Lord is, is interesting. It's just like, there's so many different ways that you can praise God. And I think that that's, what's so beautiful about our faith is that your people are called to do different things to bring glory to God. And all of those things have value in their own way. Right. Right. And the, the second verse also upright is the word of the Lord and all his works are trustworthy. Um, mm-hmm. This struck me as well because a lot of times, you know, you hear like the teachings of the church are just people telling you what to do, or and and you know better what you should do for yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of saying the word of the Lord is upright; his works are trustworthy. If you can't trust him, what can you trust, right? Yeah. And so it's like we should want to it's not 
it's it comes back to that you know the ten commandments aren't there for us to just follow some rules to prove that we can follow rules they're there for our own well-being you know they they make us better to follow them and that's what god wants for us um yeah and that just struck me again a little bit and i think it's really interesting too how um, with our faith, with, you know, we're taught with both ways. You know, there's the letter of the law and then the spirit of the law. And it is, um, so like, you know, like you said, the, the rules aren't there for us to be literally interpreted, you know, follow to the letter, but they're there to help us live good lives, find, you know, meaning and the direction that God wants us to take. And I think mm-hmm. that it's so interesting that we understand that in our faith, um, because I think some, People do take things literally, and I think that causes, and I, I think to take a literal translation of the works or the word of the Lord is to like put it in a box that it doesn't belong in, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think that kind of, you know, that ties into a lot of the issues that the early Christians had with the Jewish community, the Pharisees and stuff, is they had this society built around following exact law right Mm. and so like their 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 law book their their rule book the talmud that they read from it's it's like these are the laws the moral laws that we're supposed to follow and and how to like weave between the lines you know Mm. and so it's that lack of connection to the spirit of the law, like you're talking about, where it's like they didn't have that. And I think that's kind of what Jesus added, right? Where it was like, mm. you know, where he calls them out for being hypocrites and stuff pretty frequently. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, you know, they're they're very much doing exactly what you're saying there, where they're they're following the letter of the law to the letter and taking it very literally. And they're not paying attention to the spirit of the law. Mm. Right. And um yeah, I just I think that was just a key to early Christianity was that spirit of the law concept because it wasn't something that was prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I think like kind of going off that is like the, the the key spirit of the law presence is like through our teachings and through all the readings we see of Jesus, like compassion is at that forefront, right? We see rules that were being taken literally overturned by things like you know we're not treating these people with love. You're like you're being too stickler of the rules, right? Like the, the rules weren't here for us to not live life with love and compassion. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that obviously can also go too far in the other direction where, you know, you don't want to allow evil mm-hmm. to exist. Like, you know, if you have like, you're being compassionate to somebody, it it shouldn't be taken so far that you are being accepting of sins or evils you know Mm. but you can still accept the person right Mm. it's like if there is like a social outcast that's done something that society sees as morally deviant you know it used to be like stone them in the streets right (laughs) it's like you don't have to do that but you also shouldn't accept what they've done right Mm. You should try and guide them towards the light. And I think that's where the true compassion is. And it's hard to do, right? I mean, like if everybody's had this situation where you have a friend that you you know what they're doing is, is wrong and not good for them. And it's really hard to have that talk with them, Yeah, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you don't want to put your friendship in jeopardy, but you want to help your friend and you know what they're doing isn't good for them. But like, you don't know how to say that, right? That's a very hard situation, but... And I, I think that's actually, like, the way you explained it is, is, I think, a really good way of looking at it, right? Like, we're not accepting the evil act or the sin that someone's committing. We are, like, we're, like, we're forgiving the person, but the act is what's, like, taking them away from God, what is hurting them. And our goal is to try to help them, right? Um, help them find salvation, help them get to heaven. So you're you're right. Like, I think it's really easy for people to just be like, Oh yeah, we can, we should forgive everyone and accept everyone. But I think you're, that allow, you're right. It does allow evil in and we need to be careful about that. So I think that's a really yeah. great point. Yeah. I think, I mean, it kind of gets something that has been on my, my mind a lot lately. You always hear like, you know, lead by example, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been thinking like, you know, you see a lot of people that live morally righteous lives fairly, right? Like not a, nobody's perfect, but in general, they live pretty moral lives, but you know, they don't go that step beyond outside of their comfort zone to like, if there is a, a, a sheep that's straying, they don't go get that sheep, you know? And it's like, if you just live your life and live your life morally and think, well, if I just live my life morally, then that's leading by example and people can follow me. And I've been kind of feeling like it just doesn't seem like that's enough to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if you see somebody, especially like if somebody that's close to you that you have like a, a rapport with, that you can have conversation with, um, and they are going down the wrong path, I, I almost feel like it's you're taking a sin on yourself to not try and help them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't mean that to sound like, you know, virtue signaling or judgmental or anything, but like, you know, we're all called to bring each other up, right? We got to mm-hmm. correct each other's form. We all fail in certain ways and we all, we all got to help each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we just do our own thing, it's not enough. And I think like listening to that, like that's that's a really hard thing to wrap yourself around. Um, I right. think we've, we've talked about this before in the past. It's just the idea of it, it. Society right now is very defensive when you approach people about these topics. And I, I think right. right, you need a really close rapport with the person, and um, it comes from understanding that when we're approaching them, we're talking from a place of love, and it's not about condemnation or about the person, but it's about the act that. Um, right. It is like devaluing them or hurting their soul that we want to address. Right. Yeah. I was listening to the Archbishop talk a couple nights ago. Um, and he said something that struck me. And it, it was a quote, and I'm a failure, and I can't remember where he got this quote. From. I think it was, um, I think it was something John Paul II had said. Um, but it was something along the lines of if we follow true Catholicism and the Word of God, we're going to be socially excommunicated. And I feel like now more than ever, that rings true, where if you are publicly devoutly Catholic and, you know, societally, you're going to have this level of excommunication where you get shut out of certain things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of like a point of, you know, when when do you stand that ground, right? Which is hard. Yeah. And I think kind of examining the world, like in the media, you always see like when when things that are poorly impactful for Catholics comes out, you see people focusing on that. Like you never see right. the positives that the church provides, the services and right. stuff. Like, And then whenever there's like a fault in any of those services, everyone's like, oh, look at the church. It's failing. It's falling apart. And I think it's it does seem like society is just out to bash Catholicism it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they're recognizing the hopeful parts we bring the services we bring the compassion right. that we we preach um they instead they focus on like at the extremes that they're seen and like we're human the church is um you know it is like fundamentally human because it's run by human beings and we're flawed and I think in an entity so large um, to not see those flaws come through would actually be surprising. Right, right. I mean, like the the church itself is an institution of God, mm-hmm. and therefore incorruptible. But the members of the church are not incorruptible, and I think that's kind of a distinction that that a lot of just like the mainstream, like people that aren't really Catholic and have never heard about it, what they just hear from the media, they're never going to hear that. And I think it's also a point that's, you know, it's prevalent in our history books and everything too, where, you know, you learn about the middle ages and it's, it's, you learn about all this bad stuff the Catholic church did and how the inquisition was evil and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, but what about how Catholicism and Christianity kept literature alive through the dark ages? Hmm. Like when the empire of Rome fell, the church is what? held society together you know Mm -hmm. and it 
held science together and philosophy and all these things that like it kept the books and kept them safe and yeah you know there's there's all these things that are so positive that the church has done that it's just like glossed over like whatever let's get to the nitty-gritty you know mm. <laughs> like <laughs> oh no but you mentioned some really good points in there it's just like people also assume that the church is like anti-science when in fact so many uh, theories have come from like priests and stuff i'm not sure but i'm pretty sure the big bang um theory was posited by a priest of the of the church and it's just and even if that may not necessarily be true the church's official stance on science is is not no it's all wrong or something like it it believes at its core that um science is a part of god's creation and if we are to be good christians good catholics in this universe we you know look at that and you know find splendor and glory in his design you know because he obviously thought things through really really well when you look at it yeah and you are right um it was i just looked it up it was a jesuit educated educated belgian catholic priest i'm not going to try and pronounce his name um (laughs) (laughs) we can link the wikipedia page about him on the podcast and be tech geniuses um (laughs) But yes, it was uh, a Jesuit that noticed, uh, what does it say here? He noticed the recession of nearby galaxies and was the first to explain that this was an expansion of the galaxies theory. Um, so yes, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also kind of go off this, I just, the science part of it like really bugs me when people think that the church is anti-science. So for me, it's a really big key point, but like, um, people bash on the church for, you know, discrediting the earth as, you know, not being the center of the soil system. But when you really look into it and think, uh, think about it, it wasn't that the church was against it. It was more, they were trying to f- make sure that there was evidence for it. So when they, um, put forth the theory, people could understand why they thought that, right? Because up until that point for like, thousands of years people thought that the earth was the center of the solar system it's not something you just share with people and then not have crazy panic right um and it's so i think when you hear about that backstory you see that the church is it's not trying to like stimmy or silence science it wants to be prepared and thorough um because it's responsible like you said for so many people so much knowledge and so many lives that it doesn't want to just put forth things right so you see that in modern day um teachings as well the church rarely comes out with like concrete um like teachings unless it's been thoroughly vetted talked about and prayed about right like it doesn't just come out and say things Mm -hmm. yeah no and i mean i think especially in the time period of like the middle ages the church's main goal i mean one of its main goals was this kind of societal protection right it was like this Mm. thing to keep society together because it was it was a violent time you know for most all of europe and the church kind of was this balancing factor right Mm. Do you have anything else about the psalm you want to talk about? We, we kind of gone really off tangent, it seems, but this kind of ties into the first reading really well. Yeah, I think let's let's move on to the first reading. For me, it was like I my catechesis isn't as thorough as I would like it, um, but I just kind of remember something specific was just that you can trace all priests to a bishop, and you can trace that bishop um, to an apostle eventually. Um, because the whole idea was these people were um, chosen to, and prayed with and prayed upon to pass on the word of God. And I think this first reading kind of talks about that and shows us how it kind of started and where it started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, that kind of brings up the one thing I think is a very cool aspect of the church is that, you know, your pastor will report to the archbishop who can report directly to the Pope Uh and the Pope is on a global level and you are at most three people of removal away from the Pope. And that I think is just very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's when you think about that, it's actually really, that's like, 
that's insane in terms of like management tiers, right? Right. In a, in a company, if you're, let's say, let's say you're a worker bee, right? You're probably like eight or 10 times removed from the head honcho, maybe even yeah. more depending on how it's, it's structured. Yeah. And like a, not even like, I mean, like if you talk about like a mega corporation, it's going to be like 30 mm. <laughs> tiers of removal away from yeah. the guy at the top, you know? And, and those mega corporations employ a lot of people, but you see a church that is so large, and yet you're only like three away at most from the head honcho. Right, right, and that oh. I think is, I think that's a, a really cool, cool thing about the church. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this first reading is just kind of, to me, it was you know the disciples were growing, the apostles appointed some priests, mm-hmm. and you get the institution of that priesthood. Um, and the word of the God continued to spread, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of speaks to how quickly, I guess, things grew, right? Like if you were an apostle and you're thinking, well, I got to go up against the Romans who are pagans and against the Jews who hate our guts. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to convert these people. And we have, you know, maybe 30 of us, the 12 apostles, and then like, you know, Mary, and there's not very many of them, right? The mm-hmm. early Christians. And in each of these readings we've been getting since Easter, it's this continued trend of the church grew in numbers. And I think that speaks to the power of the Holy Spirit in the apostles working through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in at the very last line, even a large group of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So they were even able to convert the Jewish priests that were like, you know, these were the guys that called for Jesus's execution. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and because of the power of the Holy spirit in their word, they're able to convert them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and bring them to the truth. And I think that's really cool and encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like your emphasis on the word and the Holy spirit makes so much sense. Right. Cause like if I, I find it really hard for a group of people that just condemned a man to death via crucifixion to suddenly become obedient to a faith without some kind of outside intervention, right? It's just kind right. of like, you don't 180 on that decision. Right. Um, well, like imagine like we were talking about with the media right now, like imagine going head to head with a bunch of the mainstream media outlets on like, you know, actual moral law mm. and what we should be doing as a human species right like what is our greatest calling is do you think they would just turn around and get converted like and if the holy spirit wasn't working through you like just based on your own human power you think you could turn them around you know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just um yeah but no i think that's a really good modern analogy you're just like the holy spirit does so much for us and it and it can move uh, in like really wonderful ways in other people too, which I think for me is is amazing to know that like God's spirit is with us at all times, even whether we know it or not, and He's working in us in ways we can't see. Yeah, I think that was one one of the main things that I really wasn't um, fully prepared for when I was confirmed. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh like, yes, yeah. Because like now it's like I have a totally I have a totally different conception of what that means right (laughs) and at the time i was an i'm still ignorant but i was more ignorant foolish and young Mm -hmm. at the time um and i just you know i didn't dive into it as much as i could have yeah um, for sure how glorious that sacrament truly is um Mm -hmm. so yeah and i think you know i think a lot of people can relate to that um yeah these days it's seems like most young younger Catholics that I talk to have fairly similar opinions to, about this, um, where they, they didn't really feel prepared for confirmation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's, you know, a lot of reasons for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, I, I remember it, we, we didn't talk about this in any of our podcasts before, but I think uh, I remember you talking to me about it, at least um, this idea that even though we weren't ready, like, I mean, like we wouldn't, we're not, we weren't as receptive to the Holy Spirit as we are now. Um, I remember you saying that it, even though we weren't ready for it, it still came into us and it's still doing like wonderful things. And just because 
we weren't where we are now in our faith when we're confirmed doesn't mean we still can't utilize and appreciate that the Holy Spirit entered our lives in such a way. Exactly. And I think there's also a lot to be said for the, you know, the timing of God's plan where it's, you know, to us, a lot of times things seem like they're really poor timing and making our life miserable or hard or Mm -hmm. whatever. And then, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, it turns out, well, if that hadn't happened then, I wouldn't be where I am now. (laughs) And things are kind of working out in a way I would have never, ever expected, right? No, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I I think how going off of that for me is just like, when I think back on my journey to where I am now, like back when I was going through it, I had no idea it would lead me to the career I am now, right? Um, Like, so what I do for a living is teach. and all my past experiences that I kind of went through before I became a teacher had like no relation to teaching at all, but I found uses or I've seen connections in my life that make me a better teacher because of those things I did, even though, you know, during the time I thought I was doing it for something else and ended up not liking some of those things, it it became a part of my life and shaped who I am now. Well, and it's the same for me. Like I'm a city boy. (laughs) My parents are city people. And their parents are city people. And now I'm farming. And I went to school for engineering and music. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> until I was farming, I had no idea that was what I was going to be doing. And now it turns out, you know, it's something that I'm really driven towards. And so, yeah, I feel like, you know, very different fields, but we have a kind of a similar path in that way mm-hmm. where things we would have never expected led us to where we are now, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Cause like, I, I feel like we had other goals in mind and then we were, I would, I, I wouldn't say I was overtly guided to where I am now, but I was gently nudged over, I would say the course of a couple of years to where I am now. And I think, um, but yeah, I'm. I think kind of, we've talked to. I've talked to you before about you know going from music and engineering to being a farm a farmer now. But and I think I can I can hear the difference in when you're talking about your farming, right? Like you have a passion for it. You love it. Not that you didn't enjoy music, although engineering classes. I do remember you being bored. So that might that might have been a good sign there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was pretty dumb at that point. So you know. <laughs> it took me some years to figure that out. <laughs> but no, I think yeah, kind of go back to our main point is just that the it's I think people worry so much about the destination that they forget about the journey and that yeah. the, the Lord is accompanying us on our journey. And I think this is, this this leads, sorry to interrupt you, but oh, this no leads so perfectly into the first few lines of the second reading. So I'm going to read those really quick and then you can finish your thought. <laughs> so hold on to it. <laughs> Beloved, come to him, a living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's just this concept of letting yourself be built mm-hmm. into a spiritual house. It's like neither of us would have ended up where we are currently if we didn't listen to those nudges. Mm-hmm. And like if I had just continued down my path of, okay, well, I want to I wanna make good money and have a nice material life that's comfortable and stuff so i'm going to keep doing engineering like i would have been bored out of my mind (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah um but i would have had these like worldly comforts but instead it's like when you let yourself be guided by these spiritual nudges you find so much more fulfillment Hmm. and i think that that fulfillment is something that we all we all want right like we all want to know that we have a purpose in our life and that what we're doing is meaningful and i think it's easy to equate what you think you want with what you really should go after, right? And, and I think, like you said, being built into a spiritual house um, by the Lord, through the Lord, 
by listening to those nudges, listening to that call, um, it may seem difficult, but I think like we've talked about before, all he wants us to be happy. He wants us to live happy and good lives. And I think that we have to place our trust in that and be led towards those um, journeys or paths that may seem convoluted, but actually will bring us happiness. Right. And I think that the key to that is really just, you know, that concept of following Christ in every moment and not like giving over that power, like we talked about previously um, in the last episode, mm-hmm. um, where you give that power to God of the power of the future, right? Where it's like, I'm not going to worry about um, like my material well being in the in 10 years from now. Like, I'll think about it some, like, obviously, you don't want to have no plan, but like, you kind of give that up to God and say, God has a plan. And if I follow his will in this moment right now, and I do that in the next moment and all the ones after that, or do my best to do that, mm. then it's all going to work out according to his will. Right. And at least in my life, I found that when I do a better job <laughs> of aligning myself with those things, stuff works out mm-hmm. a lot better, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and when I'm failing to align myself with those things, that's when, you know, it's, it gets like life gets tedious. I get like depression, have sleeping problems, like, mm-hmm. you know, like anxiety, all these kind of like little things that add up where it's like, it's because you're not aligning yourself where God wants you, mm-hmm. you know, and God wants you where you're best suited. So it's, it's not just that you're not doing what God wants for you. So he's going to bully you. It's, <laughs> What he wants for you is for you to be the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. And that means you got to be in the best spot for you to be in. Yeah. He knows where that is and you don't. Yeah. So you got to listen. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's something I could do, you know, a lot better. It's something I think setting aside time for prayer would be, it's a, a major weakness on my part where mm. I think it would help a lot. Right. Cause it's kind of like setting aside specific time just to listen. Mm-hmm. I think would be very beneficial. I I think kind of going off that, um, a part of the like being where we're supposed to be doesn't mean it's going to be the easiest path every time. I think yeah. that's something that people get in their heads. It's like you know, oh, if I, you know, if this is not the easiest path, God wouldn't be calling us towards that. Um, but I think that's not the way you're supposed to be looking at it. It's you're being called to do what will be good for your heart and your soul and like your sense of purpose. Right. So even if it's a lot of hard work, I think, like you said, if you just let yourself over to God, follow his plan and go where he wants you to go, even though it may be hard, you're still going to find some sense of like purpose or I wouldn't say reward, but fulfillment. I think fulfillment is what I'm looking for. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think a lot of times, um, it's very easy with all of the technology we have to get used to comfort and the path God has chosen for us is not going to be comfortable most likely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it will be that it'll have that rewarding, but so many people are so adjusted to seeking out comfort, you know, like if it's like a little chilly, everybody goes and grabs a coat or turns a heater up or whatever. Right. Cause we have all this stuff available to us if it's a little too hot you know we put the ac on and it's like we don't have this concept of just kind of like enduring Mm -hmm. you know um like we 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 crave that kind of comfort right because we can get it so easily now and um i think to a degree that it's it kind of it's it's weakened us as a people to be so comfortable all the time Mm -hmm. um yeah i was thinking about that when i was farming on couple days ago in the morning it was really cold and it was raining on us and i had thought it was going to be sunny so i didn't bring a jacket (laughs) and uh, i'm stupid uh oh yeah my my boss is like hey are you uh aren't you cold and i'm like yeah and she's like you want a coat and i'm like i'm okay i mean it's gonna warm up today it's not gonna be cold all day and i think sometimes you know a little discomfort is good for you 
<laughs> she just looked at me like I was crazy and was like, okay, you can suffer if you like that. You know, and I'm like, well, I'm not about like suffering all the time. But I think that, you know, like sometimes it's just like kind of having that little mental struggle of being a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. is, uh, I think it can, you know, builds character. Uh, <laughs> but I think coming to talk about is like an, another part of it is just like, Sometimes, yeah, someone can offer you the jacket, and like, but like you said, you're like, it's gonna be a couple hours. Uh, you know, I'm already, I'm, I'm working like hard right now. I'm used to it. I, I like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an interruption, right? To kind of mm. reset, to get comfortable, to, to then get ready again when you're like, you know, you're already working on stuff. Right, and to to another degree, also, it's like you know, being cold when you're working, doing like physical work outside. It's kind of motivation to work harder, right? Because like, you work harder, you heat up. Mm-hmm. so to me it's kind of like i i think on a lot more levels than just that very basic physical level being a little uncomfortable um can add a lot of motivation to people um and kind of like kick the whole complacency in the butt right because <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but we, we do want to be clear during for our podcast that we're not telling people to do work in like 20 degrees celsius um, you should stay safe when you can. Yeah, don't go to Siberia um, naked unless you're Russian and have lots of vodka. And, you know, maybe then you'll be okay. But the rest of us... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know maybe, how I feel about those comments. Maybe, maybe put some clothes on, you know. Totally. Yeah. But no, I, I, think, I think coming back to it, you're, you're right. Just like sometimes a little discomfort is not bad. And it's right. like... It, like, and you say it's a motivational thing, right? Like, if I'm doing work and I need to grade something, I don't want to be comfortable because I'm just going to fall asleep. Like, I need to be awake. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, people do it all the time. It's not it's not something that's foreign to people. It's just kind of like a subconscious thing, right? Like, you aren't going to get, like, in your cozy sweatpants and sweatshirt and wrapped up in a blanket with, like, a cup of tea if what you need to do 10 minutes later is, like, go to the gym and work out. Right, like, <laughs> it's, it's not you know it's not going to work, uh-huh. um, or you know grade papers right like you're going to fall asleep, <laughs> or write a paper if you're in school right oh, like, yeah yeah right so yeah, I mean I always chose to write papers at four o'clock in the morning the day they were due. So yeah, that doesn't sound. I'm obviously the optimal student, um, but that was uncomfortable, and I wrote quickly, so... <laughs> but you write well, though, is the question. Yeah, well enough. <laughs> That's fair. It's in the past. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you're where you want to be, I'm where I want to be. It worked out. That's right. That's right. Um, is there anything else about the second reading you want to talk about, or do you want to kind of move on to the uh, gospel after you talk about the Alleluia? Uh, I think I think we better get moving. Um, I think the Alleluia is just more in line with the the general concept of following God is really truly in our best interests. Um, the verse, "I am the way, the truth, and the life," says the Lord. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's kind of just more of that, you know. Following Him is not because He's a bully and just wants us to follow him arbitrarily. It's Mm -hmm. because he is the truth and the life and he wants what's best for us. So, yeah. And I think for me, it's really interesting because it's like no one comes to the father except through me. And then you think about it with the Trinity, the father, son, and the Holy spirit. It's just like, so I can't get to the father except for through Jesus, but when I'm going through Jesus, aren't I already with the Father? And I think it's like a really interesting image. Because um, like, you can't go to a part of God without all of him, right? Like You can't right. get to the, um, the Father or the Son without the Holy Spirit um, being there or helping you get there, right? And I think all of them are connected yeah. in an unfathomable way that I still can't truly describe, but... Yeah, well... <laughs> that's one of those faith things, right? And I mean, I think that leads into the gospel well. It's, you know, about um, getting to the Father through Jesus and seeing mm-hmm. the Father in Jesus. And I think that kind of speaks to one aspect of the Trinity I heard where it's, you know, the Father is the all-knowing, the being. The mm-hmm. Spirit is 
the the mover in our lives like the signs we see the Mm -hmm. you know um the motivations we get and then jesus is our physical connection to god like he's he's fully god and fully human Mm -hmm. and so you have these three aspects of god that is each relatable in its own way right and Mm -hmm. each one provides a new depth in which we can get closer to god and if we only had one, we wouldn't have all of these ways to connect with God, right? But because we have this perfect three-legged stool, <laughs> um, we have all these different ways to relate to God, you know? And as you go through different stages in your faith, everybody, you know, has like different stages where they have like really high motivation or low motivation or they're struggling with things and stuff like that. And I feel like at every point, there's a way to relate to at least one part of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, a good tool, right? I, I've never thought about it that way. And I think the way you described it, like, especially Jesus, the description about Jesus really um, struck out to me, the fact that, you know, it, it makes sense, right? You have, if you have God by yourself at that point, you know, you're just, you're praying to an entity, hoping that it will do something. But when you think about all of it as a whole, it actually builds this beautiful image for you, right? Um, like you said, Jesus is both fully divine and human. So like you said, he's our connection, you know, he's our physical connection that, okay, it is possible for us to have a relationship with the Father. Jesus is like evidence of that. And then kind of going off what else you said, the Holy Spirit helps guide us in this present and moves in ways that we may not see but you know you have that guidance and all of this comes together for you to have a relationship with an vast infinite being that has you know through its grace and patience and love deemed us important enough to see or understand him or help us try to understand him right right someone once said to me that uh they were in adoration and they just had this intense desire to hug Jesus. And that kind of spoke to me in terms of that, like, Trinity, right? Where Jesus, he is physical. He was here. He walked with us. He talked with us. And people did hug him while he lived. You know, mm-hmm. like, people had the opportunity to hug God, right? And it really speaks to that, like, difference in the trinity while they're all still god mm-hmm. like jesus is that very physical and real presence right and he's still with us with the eucharist of course um and that you know it, it's his physical connection that we have it's tangible right mm-hmm. um and yeah i think that's very cool <laughs> i i kind of run back up and, and point out something you said that we, i'm like People hug God. I know, right? That seems so unfair to me. I'd never even thought of that before. And then I was just like, oh, man. Well, that that is, I mean, I'm like, that is so awesome for them. But then for me, it's like, that is, I I want to, what? (laughs) Right. Well, and I mean, like, it puts into perspective, like, Jesus washing the disciples' feet and stuff like this that we read. You know, it's just, like, Mm -hmm. ingrained in us. We just read it. Okay, whatever. And you think about it, and it's like, that's. God washing. physically washing your feet. Like imagine being that guy. Like it makes sense now why, you know, Peter was like, didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, no, nah, I should be washing your feet. You know, like I feel like I'd feel the same way. Like that's crazy. Right. <laughs> and you, and I, I never even had thought of it in that perspective before. No. And I haven't either. I think when you mentioned it today, that's just like, that's just an amazing thought. Right. Like, God washed, like, just, like, I can't even begin to imagine, like, putting myself into that position, being like, oh, my God, are my feet clean? Um, but <laughs> Yeah, right. Are my feet clean before somebody cleans them? Like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think, kind of think about that, it's like, it shows how much that God cares for us, right? Like, I mean, washing the feet, was a really humbling act and it's very uh, like a very human act but then like it kind of gives us that um prelude to his crucifixion right like 
this he's willing to make sacrifices for us. He's willing to do so many things because he loves us. And I think that this is a beautiful reminder of his love. And right. when we do it every year, it's it it should be a reminder of his love. I think that we forget about that when because like you said, yeah, you know, I've heard the readings. I, I remember he washes their feet every time, but to to think that God, like divinity, washed their feet. Right. Thinking about him actually physically doing it is totally different than, <laughs> than just reading the story and being like, okay, all right, Jesus washed the feet. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like he walked on roads that still exist today. Like, man, I know, right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I think, I think. I like I've I've I'm so used to hearing and reading about it that I forget that Jesus lived a life amongst us. He did things. He was a little kid once too. Okay, that baffles me, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like being Joseph and raising Jesus. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he did a good job. <laughs> yeah one of my, one of my friends told me the 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 fight that joseph and mary had was that um joseph was basically saying that because mary was the mother of jesus that she should like he would just follow what she said mm -hmm. and mary you know basically kind of told him what for and said no you are you're the husband like you're the head of this household you're his father right and mm -hmm. that's kind of crazy <laughs> you know, like imagine it being Joseph, right? Where it's like, uh, yeah, how would you go about that, right? Like, I feel like, like I feel like the stress of parenting a kid and raising them properly is already high enough. Yeah, but like, then if you have this added on, like knowing that, yeah, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, also God, like, you know, don't forget the angels watching over and telling you about this, right? Right, yeah, and, but then I, I think I forget which Sunday, but I think it's a Sunday after Easter where it's like the, it's the feast of the family, right? And we 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 recognize that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were a family, right? It wasn't Joseph, the guy who listened to Mary because she bore the Son of God. They were a family, and mm -hmm. I think we forget about that sometimes. Yeah, he was genuinely the head of the household, right? And um it's what you know when when you are the 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 father figure of a household it's you have that responsibility you are a priest of that household mm -hmm. um you know you're the the first level of of like you get this like minor priesthood where you, it's your responsibility to spiritually lead this household and that was Joseph's job which is like imagine trying like spiritually leading not not only Mary, <laughs> but also Jesus. Like you know, I think. Yeah, but also like when you think about it, it, it acts as an example to us all, to us laymen especially, that we are capable of, of doing important and wonderful things for the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I feel like Joseph is that kind of connection that we get there. He he was, I wouldn't say he was average because you know father of the son of god scenario going on there but he like he did a wonderful job yeah i mean you know he's he is i think my favorite saint and it's just because there's that level of responsibility that he showed that it's just astounding to me you know that a human could fill the role that he had to fill mm -hmm. you know well i i mean it seems like we kind of went on a lot of tangents but I think that kind of wraps up the gospel, right? It's just like we are called to God through Jesus, a very human and very divine being. Um, and I think that we sometimes forget that he was a human being that did human things. Right. It's easy to dissociate his humanness and his godness, being like, talk about Jesus the human and then talk about Jesus as God and not relate the two when in mm -hmm. fact they're the same. Right. And that's what's paradoxical and difficult to wrap your mind around. But <laughs> yeah. Well, shall I read the communion antiphon? Yeah. I am the true vine, 
and you are the branches, says the Lord. Whoever remains in me, and I in him, bears fruit in plenty. Alleluia. I think that's a, a great antiphon to kind of wrap up what we're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about, or do you want to wrap it up uh, with a prayer? I think we have spoken on many tangents that I can hold my other tangents in. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess let's end in prayer like we normally do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, let's pray for intentions. Um, I would like to pray for all those that are struggling with the adjustments and the difficult time, the coronavirus, and uh, an end to it um, so that people may return to your house, the churches, and you know receive communion because um, I know that I personally miss it deeply. I pray for uh, myself and everyone else to have the courage and agency to follow the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit um, and lead the lives that God sets for us. For these intentions that we have spoken out loud and those we hold in our heart, um, I would like to pray uh, a spirit to the Holy, a prayer to the Holy Spirit that um, was shared with me one time. So, remain with us the whole day, Lord. May your grace be a sun that never sets. We dedicate this day to you as an offering. Do not let us offer anything that is evil. May your gift of light pervade this whole day that we may be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. May the love of your Holy Spirit direct our hearts and our lips, and may we always act in accordance with your will. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us. Um, hopefully you'll get something out of this, and if you have any feedback or you have any comments, please let us know. Um, we'd like to hear from you. Thank you.